Hey, thanks for joining us again this week and tuning in to Sunday Recap, the weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermons past Sunday. For more recordings of our podcast and recordings of our sermons, visit begrace.org slash podcast. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit begrace.org. I'm Joey Colon. I'm Dave McMurray. I'm Jim Wilson. I'm Chris Webster. And I'm Eunice Cho. Uh, if you're watching the video, I did it counterclockwise around me. I didn't even realize I did that. That was an accident. Whoa. So glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Um, that threw off everything. I don't know where we're at. What are we doing today? The podcast. Daniel. Podcast. Something. Daniel chapter five. 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 You're just like, I got this. Step out of the way, Joey. I'm in charge. <laughs> Go for it, Eunice. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter five, continuing our What to Do When the World Falls Apart series. And this week, Eunice chose our sermon title. Didn't she? Way to go, Eunice. What was it, thank Eunice? Thank you, thank you. It was called Insufficient Funds. Insufficient mm. Funds. So artsy. Mm. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> so good. Well, what was Insufficient Funds about? Daniel chapter 5 is the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. King, uh, what, Belshazzar? Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Belshazzar, right? Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Yep. Yep. Belshazzar. And I think this is actually, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I remember seeing all kinds of <clears throat> Bible cartoons when I was a kid with this story in it. I don't know mm. why it was always, or maybe it's just one that stuck with me. I don't know. Maybe mm. I should have. Dramatic. Should have paid more attention. But this is the king's having a party, being flamboyant, trusting in himself. Mm-hmm. And God comes in and writes on the walls. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. says, a dollar, a dollar, a nickel, a dime. Yeah, yeah. Very good. That's the story, right? Tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about it, Dave. That was a really rough, bad summary I no, gave. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, dude's having a party. Best we can tell from history, the city is literally being seized in the moment he decides to have the party. And... He's basically showing off how great he is. And you might say a last straw was he brings in these goblets from Jerusalem, the the special golden and silver vessels, and they decide to party with those vessels to kind of show their dominance over maybe the Jewish people specifically or all other gods. I don't know exactly. We don't know all the motives there, but it was definitely a, a disrespect to the God of the Jews and but primarily it was just pride showing off look how great we are you know no one can stop us and then there was the handwriting on the wall that says basically yeah dollar dollar quarter nickel or dollar dollar quarter dime whatever however you would say it but it's like it's like random amounts of money and so nobody really understood what it meant because it was just like the the repeat of one word and then two other words it was basically three words written on the wall and in aramaic and hebrew Without context, they can either be taken as verbs or nouns. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, well, what are, are those the nouns? Are those the verbs? What does this mean? And it's just a strange, curious and scary message because, you know, hands don't usually appear out of nowhere and write on walls. And so, I don't know, is it a spoiler to say what the writing meant? I mean, it's your sermon title, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started, so I started with it insufficient funds. I mean, basically... When Daniel gives the interpretation at the end of the story, he says, your days are numbered. You've been weighed and found wanting, meaning, you know, you're you don't measure up, basically. Um, So it's a money counting scales analogy of judgment. So basically, God's giving him kind of a money judgment of you're out of luck, you're condemned you know, you're in debt and I'm, I'm calling the debt now and you're going to die this very night. (laughs) Did he die that night? And he died that very night. At the age of 62, 62, 67. That was Darius. It's I don't think we're told, I don't think we're told Belshazzar's, but it does throw in 62 as the name of the guy that takes Mm. over. Mm. Yep. Okay. 
And your three main points were don't trust false gods, stop ignoring the truth, receive the weight of God's grace. Mm. Yes. Those yeah. are right? Those are from your That's notes. Right. That's so I right. don't know if they're right. My notes are correct. <laughs> mostly. I was uh, I was mostly stressing over the newcomer's lunch. That was after yeah. church, during church. So You did a great job, Joey and Eunice. We had a great newcomer's lunch yesterday. Good job. Mm-hmm. Eunice did it. I couldn't have done it well without Chris's uh, serve um, portion, though. He stole the show. Mm-hmm. Boom, he did. <laughs> so. I told him afterwards, I was like, all right, dude, we're going to have to give you a sermon on serving. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> stole the show. Oh, dear. And now he's stealing <laughs> all the telemarketing calls. So good. Just kidding. What did you say, Eunice? I said I still remember your last sermon. It was so good. Oh. It, was, it was a while ago. It was like two years ago. A year ago? No, I heard about that one. The pandemic just makes it feel longer. <laughs> it was technically Patreon two years ago, recorded. but it felt like 30. Yesterday. Pandemic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, if you yeah, want to join our Patreon was. to hear all the other pastor sermons, go to uh, begrace.org slash give us your money. <laughs> well, I know it was exactly two years because my daughter's two-year anniversary is coming up, and Chris did the evening service that, that weekend when she was getting married. Aww. So it's like a week a week away from being exactly two years. Well, I take it back. Right. Maybe Eunice's sense of time during the pandemic is better than mine. <laughs> so, Thank you. Well, whenever Karis gets gets married, I will <laughs> preach another sermon. That, yes. that is the next Not time Compton. I'll preach for you. We might even learn you're 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 skipping Compton. Skipping Compton. Right I only do girls. <laughs> <laughs> only oh, girl weddings. Mm. Yeah, only girl weddings. This is really weird. Very specific. Right. It's in my contract. Okay, <laughs> let's keep moving really on. <laughs> <laughs> I like the weird part. This yeah, is what right. people listen for, trust me. <laughs> I don't know, let's send out a survey about it and find out. Um, wow, I don't know. I was going to make a joke, but I stopped. Hey, look, he's got a blank page of notes, too. No, look, there's stuff. There's so much stuff. Oh, okay. Anyways, the first got point is... highlighting, I've got circles. Good, 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 good. Good, good. <laughs> I can tell you we're silly tired. Thanks, Catherine, for that. Uh, good Shout out to Catherine. I know. All right, main point one, don't trust false gods from verse one through nine. And mm-hmm. I think in this point you were talking about how his false god was actually probably the city almost yeah. at this point. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a construction from history, you know, saying they were probably sieging it at this moment. But it's also just like a common sense kind of thing. Like that was the strongest thing that existed in his universe was the city of Babylon. You know, it was this unconquerable fortress. So, um, so that's you know that was one of those, uh, I guess, poetic license. You know, on my my behalf, it's like. Well, what were some of the false gods he was trusting in? What are the, some of the false gods we trust in? Well, that was the strongest thing in his culture. What are some of the strong things in our culture? What are some of the fortresses that that we might be trusting in in our day and age? Did you just tell people to think that, or did you give them actual ideas? You know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm confused as to what I said in which service, but <laughs> as always. Know, there's infrastructure, there's tradition, um, mm-hmm. culture, our, our political system, um, mm-hmm. our political parties we've affiliated with in the past, our alma maters, our schools, our, you know, there's, there's all kinds of structures that we're like, this will be around forever. And then you're like, wait, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. Maybe it'll fall, you know? Um, yeah. Retirement accounts. There's. I mean, just about anything could probably go into that that category. Um, there are things that we use to make us safe. I think the pandemic has really messed with us on that because there's just so much confusion. You know, it's like, oh, everything's fine. It's no big deal. Wait, no, it is a big deal. Wait, no, it's no big deal. You know, like the back and forth. There's just the confusion has been, been crazy. I think, mm-hmm. and you mentioned two things. You also mentioned the image. Or, uh, yeah, a few mm-hmm. things. Self-image. You, self-image. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because I think in my brain I started sorting into two categories. So 
So you've got the walls of Babylon, and that's kind of a thing out there that I'm passively believing will just stay forever, right? So that's what we were just mm-hmm. talking about mostly. But then there's also the self-image thing, and that's a category mm-hmm. of these things I'm like working constantly to keep up in mm. order to be safe if something happens. And so I think yeah. that's what that's what you see Belshazzar doing is he's he's actively putting on a show. He is driving to say if everyone thinks I'm awesome and unworried, yeah. then that's how I continue to lead is mm. is, is keeping up this facade. And so I think there's those two things. There's there's like maybe the societal stuff that's out there that we expect to go on forever and that's what's going to protect us or you know like a lot of those things you were talking about and then there's these mm-hmm. this treadmill we're on and the other side of of i have to keep doing this so that mm-hmm. i will be safe and so i don't know there's those big categories in my head um, yeah mm-hmm. of things we trust in but mm-hmm. i think maybe mm-hmm. even sometimes the uh yeah one one or the other category might not be as obvious to us we might like when we hear idle we might think of one or the other but it's mm-hmm. good to have I don't know, for me to have both of my head. Yeah. yeah. I think it's super relevant, like, to the time even right now. Like, um, so uh, in the sermon, you were talking about, like, the walls of Babylon and, like, like it's a fortress. It's, like, an unseizable place. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. was sieged. And, like, it was, like, yeah. this super strange way that it happened. Like, it was, like, through the water systems, right? Or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't, even, I didn't and, even tell how it happened. Yeah, it's a crazy story. You, it yeah. is the place, man. And, this is the place. Yeah, tell, <laughs> yeah. Eunice, tell explain. Do you, know, do you remember? Have you heard it, Eunice, how it happened? Yeah, so I remember you were saying, like... <laughs> They like went through. I don't remember exactly remember. I don't remember exactly how, but um, I just remember like water systems and like nobody was worried mm-hmm. about the water systems, and so like that's mm-hmm. how they got through. Yeah, it's like the Euphrates River apparently flowed through. Maybe it was a a vein of the river. You know, I don't know. Sounds like the way I read the history, the actual Euphrates River ran under the walls, and like the walls, you know, you would have. They would have had to have like swum, swam, swam, swum. They would have had to go swimming to get through normally. And so that's a, you know, (laughs) an army can be held at bay pretty easily if you just got soldiers standing on the other side shooting people when they come up out of the water, you know. But they diverted the water so that the whole army could like march through. Um, So they basically dammed up the river outside the city. It started going down to a trickle. They were able to kind of march through low water and just bring the whole army into the city it's pretty so, crazy so for our mm-hmm. metaphorical purposes right that's saying any idol we have has a weakness mm. the, you know god is the only thing without a weakness and then any mm-hmm. idol we have something is stronger or smarter and can defeat it, it mm. and god is mm. the only one who's the strongest and the smartest right yeah, so yeah. isn't that cosmological argument <laughs> maybe that was fancy. Y'all have to remind me what that means. I don't remember. I think that's the right one. Maybe it's the wrong one. Somebody let us know. God is the greatest. Yeah. Isn't that the cosmological one? Maybe that's the wrong one. Yeah. Ontological? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Oh, maybe it's ontological. <laughs> Being his greatness. He's always he's always bigger than what anything else. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> God no is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than the monsters on TV. <laughs> or the walls of Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. More music. Good job, Eunice. So this is all happening while he's partying. Mm-hmm. And then God grabs his attention. Yeah. Scares the um I don't know, what's another word? As I, I can't mm. say soiled. Scares the soiled out of him. Scares the scares mess the out, of soil him. out of him. Scares, scares the junk out his... of him. Yeah. 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 So the Aramaic phrase is his the knots of his hips came untied or came undone. Undone. And so a lot of a lot of scholars, language scholars are like, we think that's an idiom for his intestines, you know, loosening up. <laughs> and uh, so they think they think he soiled himself. But other, other translators think, you know, what we have in a lot of the translations is his knees knocked together. or something. You know, it's like his joints went loose is one 
one translation of that as well. So either way, either he fell, <laughs> he went weak kneed and fell over, or he soiled himself. One of the two. Either one, he was completely horrified. Well, I think sometimes, mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor, but I think sometimes those are related too, though. Like if you lose mm-hmm. control mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of yourself. Anyways. That makes sense. So yeah. God, I, I'm, I guess I'm interpreting here. God scares him. That's not really interpreting. God yeah. scares him mm-hmm. to grab his attention, I guess. Yeah. I just wonder if, did you make any relation to that with uh, our lives or how God might interact with us? Mm. Did you yeah. do that? I don't know. I don't know if I made that explicit, but I think that's the, yeah, I think that's the idea that we have, especially carrying over from last week. You know, we had, we have these warnings that God gave mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar again and again. And this, this is kind of a contrast, right? So the Belshazzar story is purposefully placed, you know, there was best we can tell 23 years of other stuff that happened, you know, but Daniel prophetically organizes chapter five, right after chapter four. And there's a lot of the same phrases. And even, even Daniel makes a comparison like, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. Belshazzar, you have not learned your lesson. So, um, yeah. So there are warnings that God gives us warnings that God gave Nebuchadnezzar warnings that gave, he gave to Belshazzar. And so our job is to receive those warnings, listen, pay attention as God warns us. Mm-hmm. And to stop ignoring the truth. Yeah. Point two mm-hmm. from verse 10 through 22 is stop ignoring the truth. So maybe yeah. you did go there here. And I just yeah. don't remember. So the big key verse is verse 22. He says, you knew all this. He kind of, Daniel kind of marches through all the lessons that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had learned together from God and says, Belshazzar, you knew all this. Like you are responsible for what happened before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I think good. that's a thing we talked about a little bit you Dave and I it's like I think last week you said basically everybody knows there's a God and everybody knows that they're broken that mm-hmm. was from last week mm-hmm. so I guess I was thinking some of these same thoughts um, with this like you knew the truth I think People would want to argue with you about that. Like, mm. did, did, did we really know? Did I, I, I was, I was like, you know, I like to test those things in my head. Like, does everybody know? I know the scripture says we're without excuse. We've, you know, the scripture says everybody knows. It's just a fascinating thing that I don't know that uh, everybody feels like they know or they, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's the, mm. the people out there really, are they willing to even admit that they know those things? I guess that's, we're just so good at lying to ourselves <laughs> about knowing the truth. Um, that's, that's the scary part is when you, mm-hmm. you've talked, <laughs> you've talked yourself out of the truth for so long. So that, you, that was my, my old youth pastor saying, he would say all the time, I'm sure he stole it from somebody, but people believe what they want to believe so they can do what they want to do. Um, mm. And that's, and I think that's the pattern we see over and over again is like we shout, we, you know, we get the right voices shouting in our head. We shout in our own head too, to where we eventually feel like we're off the hook. Like I didn't know, you know, mm. that's, and that's a scary mm-hmm. pattern we see. So there's not really a yeah. question in there. I just, I was just, you know, yeah. wrestling through that. Like everybody really know, you know, uh, Scripture says that's true, but I don't know that everybody would agree. Uh, you know, that's interesting. Well, and that's the that's the explanation of Romans one is we suppress the truth, and so Colossians, I think Ephesians echoes the. There's several other passages where there's this echo of like how we we become stupid. You know, like we our hearts are darkened. Mm. I think is the way it mm. said. Our minds are clouded. You know, like there are these different ways that Scripture talks about it, but. Um, my favorite illustration of it is in the, uh, man, is it the last battle? It's one of the C.S. Lewis Narnia stories where this uncle Andrew is watching Aslan create the world and he's singing. And so it's supposed to be kind of like a literary echo of the Genesis creation where God speaks the world into being and the whole, you know, Genesis one is very sing song when it's written, very poetic. And so Lewis makes this, this, kind of lion Christ figure singing creation and uncle Andrew, the magician 
is like hearing it and saying it's just a dumb lion growling because lions can't talk. You know what I mean? Like he's convinced himself, I can't. It sounds like singing, but it couldn't be singing. And Lewis's little aside is the, is the problem with making ourselves stupider is that it works. You know, <laughs> like the problem with our ability to suppress the truth is we actually God allows us to do that. So we mm. we deny the truth. And then we don't know the truth anymore. And that's really confusing. You know, it's almost like a logical tautology mm -hmm. or something. But yeah, there's some extent to which we know the truth. We are accountable before God. We know he's there and we shut it down and shut it down. And the more we shut it down, the stupider we become, um, which is which is terrifying. Mm -hmm. that, that brings up a question in my head. How, so how does that play out in like apologetic situation? Um, mm. You know? I wish we had Kendrick on here too. He, you know, yeah. Dave, you said you're like a, you know, that's one of your hobbies. And mm -hmm. so is that, I mean, when you're having conversations with, with people, is it helpful to, to talk through that? Or like, you know this, yeah. or is it, is it not helpful? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's called presuppositional apologetics. I'm, yeah. you know, the apologetics nerds out there will jump on me, but I'll, <laughs> I'll overly generalize as I'm so, apt to do. Sorry, let me step back and. For people who don't even know what apologetics is, can you define? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I so think we throw these terms around. Is is giving reasons for the faith? You know, like clarifying that the faith makes sense. And sorry, my computer's acting weird. The battery's not charging. Uh, okay, we'll ignore that. I might just disappear here in a minute. I don't know. What? I'm not sure what's going on. Um, so apologetics is basically giving reasons for our faith, and it comes out of first. Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. I've talked a lot the last through the Daniel series on how that makes the most sense in the context of suffering, right? Like, so when we're suffering and we still believe, that's when we have the opportunity to actually do real apologetics, to give reasons like, oh, no, I, I believe God's there. Here's why I believe. But um, there are two branches then of giving reasons. Obviously, it's way more complex than this. And, you know, everybody's a a variation of these, but one side is called evidential where it's like, here are the evidences. It's more sensory and scientific, you know, like here's the facts about why scripture is reliable. Here are the facts about why the resurrection makes sense. Right. And so you've got like the Lee Strobel's or the cold Josh case McDowell. guy, Josh McDowell is a classic. There's a new guy that we've seen at a conference. Joey took the youth to, I got to go chaperone one, um, He's a detective and he's done some of that work. What's that name? The guy's name? He's like a sheriff or a detective or something. Yeah, he's not new. Um, Been around a while. My brain can't get him right His now. His book is is like cold case. So basically he uses, you know, he uses detective stuff. Same thing. Lee Strubel did some of that using, you know, investigative journalism to show evidence. This other side is called presuppositional, which is like more talking to someone's heart. Like, oh, you don't even want to believe, you know, that's <laughs> mm -hmm. more of the. The presuppositional. I think they hmm. both have their merits, you know. One is like trying to get under the surface and say, oh, you've constructed an entire worldview that doesn't even want to believe the arguments I'm making. You know, like, let's talk about your heart or your presuppositions or your kind of foundational worldview. And then the other is like, let's agree we are on the same playing field and you want reasons and I'll give you reasons, you know. So they're kind of two sides of what I see as a spectrum of of debate. And I I think most people that actually do apologetics, that actually talk to people about Jesus, pray and the Holy Spirit leads them in the moment, you know. The books that are out there tend to specialize in one or the other, but in real life, we just kind of deal with people as, as they come. You know, what are the questions? What are the hangups, the confusions that they have? Well, and I think what this point is saying here, though, like what you're trying to get to with this point is that truth mm -hmm. does exist. Yeah. Um, and not only does it exist, but it's been given to us, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's the point with uh, Belshazzar, you know, you knew all of this. You've, you mm -hmm. already knew. And for us, it's, you know, you did your uh, Bible on the shelf illustration, right? You've been given truth. Mm -hmm. You have truth. Are you even looking at it or looking for it? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. We're ignoring it. Yeah. And so, yeah, just assuming, again, it's a lot a lot of picking up what was there last week. Just assuming, oh, we're already suppressing the truth. We need to stop. You know, <laughs> just stop it. 
stop it or I'll put you in a box. Hmm. That's the counseling uh, huh? video. I'll put you in a box. I'll put you that? in a box. That's the counseling video. Y'all know the uh, Bob Newhart counseling video? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Just stop it. I don't know about the box. Just stop it. Yeah. That's her worst fear. So he's like, or I'll put you in a box. <laughs> That's, that comes at the very end. It's the worst part. So, yeah, we have to stop ignoring the truth. And that's the, uh, yeah, that's kind of a risk. I think I tend more towards the reasons and persuasion. And then sometimes where I feel like the text is pushing it, I just make the bold assertion like, nope, just, you know, just believe or just stop ignoring the truth. And I feel like that's the kind of text this was. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seems like the the successful conclusion is the combining of both. It's like mm-hmm. this evidence that speaks to your heart, right? I mean, even mm-hmm. even what what Daniel is saying is like, here's the story you've known mm-hmm. about your whatever you know your <laughs> predecessor, the king, mm-hmm. um, and you knew this happened. And so somewhere in your heart, and you just covered it up. You knew mm-hmm. God was God. You knew you should be treating him with respect. And that's when the, I feel like that's when the aha moment happens is when those collide with there's the like successful bridging of like this mm-hmm. evidence you knew. So he's bringing up history and like yeah. facts that happened in the past. And then mm-hmm. um, surely at some point, I mean, even, even the reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the reason he changed colors and wet his pants is, is he started, he, you know, somewhere deep inside. He's like, oh, man, I've been ignoring something yeah. big. Right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the thing staring him in the face now is connecting with what he he did know all along he, he isn't just like oh man what is yeah i didn't know there yeah He's which i guess even talk himself out of it goes to the way we normally use the phrase in modern language the writings on the wall we often use it like oh we know it's over even if we don't understand mm-hmm. it's you know what i mean it's like i just kind of knew it was done and that's like where he's at he's like oh no i'm done i'm undone you know but he still doesn't actually know what it what it means. Like he hasn't gotten to the the rational meaning and translation and interpretation yet. But he knows it's over. You know, that, so it's interesting. Man, and it makes me think. I'll I'll not talk so much, but it makes me think of last the last podcast, the playing chicken with God. Like, isn't that what he's doing uh, again too? Mm-hmm. Like the fact yeah. that he's like not just partying while this the, we think the city's under siege, but he's getting the things from the temple of Jerusalem and like, like flaunting them in front of everybody and in front of God. I mean, he's basically saying, well, if there is a God, you know, he's obviously going to do something. And yeah, I mean the, yeah, it's, ah, I wish we, I wish we had a time machine. You know, I wish we could go back and see (laughs) what kind of reforms Nebuchadnezzar tried to put in place once he became a more Mm -hmm. committed follower of the Hebrew God. Cause obviously they didn't stick, you know, like then there's another King and another King and, Babylon continues to be Babylon, but I'm sure he tried to make some changes, you know, like you see his commitment. Um, when the guys in the fiery furnace are rescued, he, he puts in a law that says, if anybody talks any smack against the Jewish God, they'll be killed. So it, it got raised to the level of like, it's illegal to talk smack about the God of the Jews, which, which puts some, this in perspective, basically him, Belshazzar then drinking with the goblets of the Jewish temple is kind of talking smack about the Jewish God, you know, in their, in their worldview, this would have been a violation of Nebuchadnezzar's laws in Daniel chapter three, but we don't really see any other reforms besides that, you know, like it's hard to know how, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, how much it got hardened into law and culture that the Jewish God was to be honored. But certainly there was some of that, I'm sure, from from Nebuchadnezzar's transformation. You know, we just don't know all the details. Mm, that's good. That was one of those things I wanted to talk more about, but because it's all kind of a fuzzy open box, it's hard to, it's hard to know how even to talk about it. And so I tried to stick with the text here. Just the story of Nebuchadnezzar was like, hey, you knew Nebuchadnezzar was proud. God humbled him. Then he learned to trust God. You knew all that, you know, so Daniel is sticking to those facts, but I'm guessing there were other 
things in the culture and in the law that elevated the God of the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Like, so the things we know right now that we may be tempted to ignore, right? Mm -hmm. But then it makes me think also that the ultimate, you know, at the end of our lives, Mm -hmm. what's, what's the story? I can't remember where it's from the, with the, the beggar in, in the, gates and it was a is it lazarus that was the best that whole crazy story and the rich man dies and and basically goes to hell and he says please send someone back to tell to tell my family and they say Mm -hmm. they have all the prophets and they wouldn't listen to them you know so you kind of did the same thing saying you have this this bible like you have more than than uh, belshazzar had way more Um, Are you ignoring it? I thought that was a really powerful moment. Yeah, that is a, yeah, that parable by Jesus is really intense. I think the phrase is, if they don't listen to Moses, they won't even listen if someone rises from the dead. Mm. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. And this is before Jesus rises from the dead. Mm. Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's big. So, yeah. Your application for this point uh, from your notes says, are we showing partiality, favoritism? How did you get to mm-hmm. partiality and favoritism from truth? That was kind of a side, like a, what would you call that? Yeah, rabbit trail a little bit. But verse 13, the king said, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. Most commentators that I was reading were saying that was that was kind of a like rubbing it in his face. So this guy should have been seen as like one of the great men of Babylon. You know, Daniel should have been seen as one of the great men of Babylon. He was a the chief of the wise men. You know, like he was he was some sort of top dog in Babylonian culture. But Belshazzar is um purposefully disrespecting his God. And then when the guy comes in, he's like, aren't you one of the exiles? So most commentators thought this was a, a low level smack talk that was going on disrespect. And so that kind of got me thinking about partiality and um, favoritism. And then there was this other angle where James is talking about that in James chapter two. It's also a valuing, you know, our, our economic system of what we value in life. When we see Jesus as the true glory, that's what enables us to honor other human beings made in God's image. But when we don't see Jesus as the ultimate glory, we don't actually honor human beings, right? So you take God out of the picture as the ultimate value in our scale of what's important and what's not. And then we kind of devolve into a a wrong valuing of everything, right? And that's when we start mistreating people. We don't treat people as made in the image of God because God is the ultimate value. So to me, it was all it was all connected. And uh, so I tried to show that one of the ways we ignore the truth is by not recognizing God as ultimate truth and ultimate value and ultimate glory. And that causes us to mistreat, mistreat people. So it's kind of like um, one application is don't mistreat people if you're doing that. If you're showing partiality, it's because you don't see God as ultimate value, which is a way of ignoring the truth. And then my other my other applications were, okay, here's how you can stop ignoring the truth. You know, is read your Bible. Read your Bible in such a way to see Jesus as the ultimate glory. Join a group. Uh, create a three-by-five group where you live your life around Jesus and the gospel and his word. Um, so, yeah, so that was complex, but I think it all connected biblically it was a tough week for me because these were like mega themes that connected over all of scripture in a sense even even when i did the sermon run through you guys were helping me narrow it down because i was kind of trying to say like 10 things at once in the sermon run through (laughs) word word three (laughs) do it You have received the weight of God's grace for point three, which, um, I don't, sorry, which, uh, somebody else go ahead for a second. Point three. I think Joey has an invader in his room. 
receive the weight of God's grace. So this final point was when we got the interpretation of the Mene Mene Tekel Parson, which the noun form would have been like we talked at the beginning. It would have been like a dollar, a dollar, a 50 cent piece, a quarter, you know, like it would have been like random weights of money. But then Daniel says, and here's the interpretation, and he uses the verb forms of those words. So, you know, most Hebrew and Aramaic words have a, a noun form and a verb form, right? And so, uh, mene was God has numbered. So, the noun mene or a mina, a form of money, is like the word a number. You know, it's like a number of money or something. And so, he said, God's numbered your days. Uh, numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. Tekel, which is a lot of times we see translated as shekel, is weight, a weight of money. And God has weighed in the balances your life and found you wanting. And then Perez or Parson is your kingdom is divided. So that would have been like division, like quarter or half money is kind of what that would mean. God has uh, divided your kingdom. So he took he took these nouns and he gave a verbal interpretation and says basically insufficient funds for you morally and that's where i got the the title from eunice who gave me that title thank you eunice um the original title when i when i did the uh yeah i paid her 300 bucks for that title (laughs) (laughs) the original title i think was wade and judge and judge wade and judge it was kind of like abstract i was trying to connect the money thing with the weight of the scales here but it's like mm-hmm. it's really money. Like in our world, it's it's money, and mm-hmm. the weighing gets is a confusing secondary thing. That's like that's how they did money in their culture. They had scales that weighed the money to make sure it was real money and the right amount and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't use scales, so the weighing I thought was kind of like a taking people off track a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it came back to it with the third point because he uses that word in the third point, but tried to make the big idea about about money and funds debt this is i'm sure that this will be entering into land of happy conjecture but um i'm just fascinated by the method god used to to send this message right like Mm. if you if you just ponder other ways he could have done it right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. he could have just sent an angel who spoke in whatever Babylonian, mm. ancient Babylonian, and that he could just understand. He said, guess what? You're going to die. Like, mm. he could have done that, but he does this this kind of theatrical, like, mm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it had to be even more terrifying in a way to Balthazar, yeah. right? Because it yeah. was so mysterious. It was like, yeah. I don't, I don't, again, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but even if they could have understood Aramaic, like you said, it would have just been a, a like, why did it say a dollar, dollar, mm-hmm. 50 cent piece? Like, you know, yeah. I just think this, I don't know what, if, if you have conjectures on that. I just, I think that's just so fascinating. Yeah. What, what was God accomplishing by sort of shrouding this in mystery and having this, uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. Had you, had you, are you, you guys have any thoughts? I have like, just guesses again. It's just fun, uh, <laughs> pondering. But. Mm. But it kind of speaks of God using something that we perceive as weak to accomplish something. Mm. So Belshazzar thought Daniel, being in exile, he viewed mm-hmm. him as weak and useless. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. God used this perceived weak person to mm-hmm. tell him what the true meaning was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also that, like, probably narrative or for Belshazzar, like, he just took these holy items from a temple and then a yeah. hand writes in that temple's language, right? Like, oh, 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 right. You know, I just, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's such a thing. Like, mm. that's funny. Yeah. I think mm. as I'm studying history and, and then knowing what's coming ahead in biblical history, if I understand it, the Babylonian people had not adopted the worship of the Jewish God by any means. And part of why they didn't like Belshazzar and they actually accepted the Persian conquerors is because there was some religious, like the Persians are going to restore the proper worship of our local gods or whatever. Mm. And so there's still a lot of religious false worship stuff mixed up in all that. But uh, Cyrus is the one that returns 
the Jews to start rebuilding the temple, right? And so you're seeing a change in administration where probably, again, a lot of conjecture, but this makes sense politically. Belshazzar is killed. He dies that night in the siege. But the, you've got a thousand leaders of Babylon. Probably a lot of those leaders, maybe some of them are killed, but a lot of those leaders are used by the administration, the new Persian conquerors, to lead, right? Like we know they kept Daniel around. They probably kept a lot of these other lords and ladies around. So they had just been witness to the power of the Hebrew God being real and being someone to be feared. And so it makes sense that you had people in the administration of Cyrus, not just Cyrus going, sure, I'll let the Jews go back home. But it made sense you had other people in the administration saying, yeah, we should we should probably cooperate with the God of the Jews. Like he kind of scares us, you know, <laughs> like um, so to me, it's the spreading of the story, because I think I've just been thinking about this with our political climate. We tend to think in absolute terms, you know, like, well, once Nebuchadnezzar became a follower of God, then everything was perfect, but it wasn't really, you know, but, but God does work through movements and groups of people following him and serving him. And that makes a difference in societies and cultures. And so I think there was probably ongoing waves of truth pushing out through important people, even though they didn't all necessarily convert and become, you know, faithful followers of Yahweh. I think the only other thing that's, that I was th just imagining is just the layer upon layer of helplessness that Belshazzar mm. had to feel, right? Like, this creepy things happens and I can't even understand it. Like, mm -hmm. I can only get halfway to understanding, right? Like, mm. God is passing judgment on me and I'm so utterly at his mercy that I have to just hunt down this old guy, you know, mm. that I, yeah. <laughs> You know, I just think that's just, I don't know. Again, all the reasons, he has all the reasons he did it that way, but it's mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, uh, well, yeah, this is kind of a artsy rabbit trail, but I mean, yes. God uses art. God uses creativity. He speaks in the forms of various cultures. I read an article in seminary by an architect that says, when you look at the the plans and the details of how the Jewish tabernacle and temple was laid out, it's uh, reasonable to say all the famous Greek standards of architecture from the, from the Greek temples was actually borrowed from the Jewish temple. You know, like, <laughs> like God kind of invented some of those artistic forms, um, but, or perfected some of them. But he's also using norms from that culture, you know, so it's like it's just a fascinating interplay where God some, comes into a culture. He uses the covenant language that Abraham is used to, and yet he makes it better, you know, and shows his grace in the way he cuts this covenant with Abraham. Um, or we've got these temples and these tabernacles that incorporate symbols from that world. You know, they've got these uh, weird things that artistically don't connect with our culture, but they totally connect with that culture. He takes it and then he tells a different story. You know what I mean? And so doubters say, oh, see, God just rips off the current culture. Therefore, it's not true. It's not really God, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, well, if God was going to enter a culture, wouldn't he speak their language? Yeah. And so to me, what we see repeatedly is God comes into the culture. He speaks in that artistic language and then he's telling a better story. Um, and it's just this beautiful thing you see played out again and again. Every every instance, you know, like I said, Abraham, Moses, these different times here, he's speaking creepy Scooby-Doo Babylonian culture language, you know? <laughs> well, like, this is weird. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that even when the message is finally interpreted, mm -hmm. it's about money. Yeah. Which is a thing that Belshazzar would totally understand mm -hmm. on a deep level. Like, yeah, he's in, he's in charge of a kingdom. He knows the ins mm -hmm. and outs of import and export and mm -hmm. where they stand and all, you know. So there's some kind yeah. of like intuitive understanding of, oh, man, I like you said at the beginning of the service, what it feels mm -hmm. like when you don't have what you need to pay for something like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he understood the language of money if he didn't understand the Aramaic, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool.
thank you for speaking artsy with me, Dave. I appreciate mm, that. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, uh, and just I, for a clarification, they did know he did know Aramaic. Aramaic was like a broad semi it was like something in between Arabic and Hebrew. So like everybody kind of knew it was like a trade language of the time. They just didn't understand the message, I think, without context is my yeah. my thinking. It was like a contextless random yeah. phrases kind of thing. <laughs> so I my question that moves mm-hmm. towards ending, I guess, is mm-hmm. um so Belshazzar hears the message, it gets translated to him. And then it seems like he maybe repents, right? In verse 29, he says says that Belshazzar gave the command, Daniel's clothes with purple, chain of gold put mm. around his neck, and he makes a proclamation that Daniel's now the third ruler over the kingdom. Mm. And so it seems like, you know, maybe he repents, he sees that he's been mm. weighed and found wanting, or he had insufficient funds, he's been judged, mm. Um and it seems like he repents. Yeah. And that's kind of where your conclusion goes to is mm-hmm. that, you know, we all have insufficient funds before God and God canceled the record of the debt. He stands in our place. Mm. Mm. But then Daniel 5.30 goes on to say that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can make that connection um, mm. or not. That's for actually us. really good. Uh, I really was reading it as pure judgment until this moment. So that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, now I'm thinking, huh, God could judge his kingdom, but he could still have legitimate, He could. this could be a thief on the cross kind of moment, right? Like today you'll be with me in paradise. Boom, you're dead. You know? <laughs> mm. uh, the only be, other, yeah. I don't the think we other, know. The thing I think of, if you're just looking at the what we have to see, right? Yeah, yeah. Is before with Nebuchadnezzar, he made statements of heart change, like he yeah. made announcements yeah. and he he said these things about God. It's almost that, that was where my one thought. I don't know if you can confirm or deny, Dave, if this is good mm-hmm. thinking, but like in this in this situation, he's still uh, uh, Belshazzar is still only interacting with Daniel. There's no like. Mm-hmm. There's not really much talk about about yeah. uh, God and Belshazzar. So you may be right, right? But we don't really yeah. know. And I guess that's, to me, I'm contrasting that with at least uh, Nebuchadnezzar has these grand pop proclamations of yeah. the Hebrew God is God. You know, yeah. and we don't see that from Belshazzar at least. I think that's fair. I mean, we just, we don't know. Even with Nebuchadnezzar, we don't really know. You know, we're kind of assuming Nebuchadnezzar converts based on what he says. Uh, you know, that's kind of how we do it in the yeah. church, right? You confess faith. All right, we'll baptize you. We see you as a Christian. Um, but we never really know what's going on in people's hearts. And But yeah, I think, I mean, I just think that's a good point Joey brings up. I hadn't really thought about that as oh. repentance, but this this very well could be evidence of repentance. It's just hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to know for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. That's, yeah, could be, could be. He was like, all right. You're right, Daniel. I'm in trouble. You're you're next in line for the kingdom. Here you go. Yeah. Well, and I guess um, part of what I'm trying to get to in that somewhat is like just because you realize you're insufficient and you turn mm-hmm. to God and you trust him doesn't mean that everything will go well on the earth yeah. for you either right then if that's the case. Yeah. So. Anyways, mm-hmm. I was just trying to make that connection because it seems like mm-hmm. it, you went from the text to, and God saves us and pays the debt, which is true, but mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we were clear that we're not actually saying this guy's kingdom was saved or, I mean, it's obviously yeah. in the text that that's not, but. Yeah. And that's part of what we mm-hmm. all wrestle through in our recovery from sin. You know, it's, we talk about that a lot and celebrate recovery is, is your, you know, God man, God is generous in restoring, you know, one biblical phrase, I guess, is restoring the years that the locusts have eaten or, you know, like God is generous in rebuilding what we've messed up. Right. But it doesn't all get rebuilt. You know, there's still, there's still broken things that I broke in my past. They're just plain broken. You know, there's still limps that I walk with. Um, and so I think, God promises substantial healing, but not complete healing this side of heaven. 
Um, yeah, so it's mm-hmm. hard to know exactly what was happening with Belshazzar, but he did not get his kingdom. <laughs> his kingdom ended, so that judgment took place. <laughs> maybe he inherited the kingdom of our Savior. Maybe he is a brother, you know. Maybe maybe we'll get to meet him in heaven, but he mm. certainly lost his earthly kingdom. But also maybe not. I'm not saying 100%, like Chris said, yeah. like the text right. is not clear that. And this could, cloudy. verse 29 can definitely be read as like, well, I saw that, realized I was defeated and went, all right, here you go. Take the treasures and I'm out of here. Like, and that <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, yeah. Yeah. That's good though. I like that. It, it added a, adds a little glimmer of hope to me, to this story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. One of yeah. your um, cross references was James 2, 3. Mm-hmm. And it was for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if you talked about this in your sermon on Sunday, but mm-hmm. on during your like run through, you were talking about how like the importance of the balance between judgment and grace. Mm-hmm. So like there's always, there's always a, uh, like this balance with God. So in this world, in yeah. this society, like we don't think that we believe that judgment is bad, like mm-hmm. only bad. Yeah. And like, we shouldn't judge each other. Like we shouldn't judge blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But God's judgment is always righteous and there mm. is like mercy and there's grace behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool point, but I don't remember if you said that on Sunday. I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't go as, in depth, I think I just started at the very beginning of the sermon said, yeah, we don't like judgment, but if anybody gets to judge God, God can judge. He's righteous in his judgments. I just kind of left mm-hmm. it there. But but yeah, I think I made a longer point in the practice sermon that, that God, really all religions tend to be one or the other to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, some might be a kind of balancing act like Christianity, but as far as a thoroughly satisfying justice and mercy combination Christianity is it you know to me there's basically irrational grace without justice in some some religions and then there's kind of like a merciless judgment kind of version in other religions you know um, mm-hmm. Christianity pull us, pulls those two things together mm-hmm. mm. so that even a hard justice passage like this, there's still a glimmer of hope, you know, there's still hope. Mm-hmm. There's still mercy because God is merciful. Yeah. That, that makes me think of, I don't know if you were listening when I said that, Dave, but my, my old youth pastor said, uh, he say people believe what they want to believe when so they can do what they want to do. That mm-hmm. makes me, mm-hmm. I think our culture, what I watch is that we want to soften justice mm-hmm. because we know we're guilty, you mm-hmm. know? And so mm-hmm. if we can, if we can wiggle around and say, either like we were talking about, I didn't actually know the truth, so you mm-hmm. can't hold me accountable to it, or mm-hmm. or that's not actually the truth, or that's not actually right and wrong, because we know somewhere deep down that that we are guilty. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think the scripture, I can't remember the references, but talking about the law being a school teacher, that like it does condemn us, but there's mm-hmm. an important need for the law to be hard, to be clear and to condemn us because that shows we need a savior otherwise we would just mm. be blindly condemned and everyone would be lost right we need yeah we need the righteousness of god to prick our hearts and say oh there's something wrong that needs to be solved and i can't solve it myself you know yeah so yeah that's good yeah, yeah, the question for the kids is mm-hmm. um if no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Mm. <laughs> and the song goes, that we might know the holy nature of God. I don't know, something like that. And thus, and our <laughs> need of a savior. Yeah. Good job. Adekizing. Yes. Anyways, good. any other thoughts? We're coming up on uh, our time limit here. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good, Dave. That's Chris, it. Jim, <laughs> Dave. Mm, I have one. Yeah. Yeah. There was also the uh, in verse 23. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Ooh, but yeah. the god in whose hand is, is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Mm. And you were, and you said like, um, like God holds, like your breath comes from God's hands, and you still choose to ignore Him, mm. and you don't, like you choose to not listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, that one, that one was really, uh, I think like, I think like life just gets so hectic and chaotic. Sometimes like we just forget that, you know, like we just get so caught up in life, mm. but then like, we just need these consistent reminders. Like you're tiny <laughs> and like, you're really like, you're, you're, <laughs> I mean, like God yeah. doesn't need us, yeah. but he chooses us anyways, you know? Mm. Yeah. To me, this reminded me of the, the sparrow language that Jesus gives, you know, like, mm -hmm. well, God, God doesn't even let a sparrow fall to the ground apart from his will. You know, mm -hmm. like, don't mm -hmm. you know how intimately involved God is in our life? He's, he's numbered the hairs mm -hmm. on your head. He, he gives you breath. He gives you life. And yet you're worshiping these gods that cannot see you. They cannot know anything. They're, they're mute mm. and deaf and dumb. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a, and that's a steady critique throughout the old Testament again and again, the prophets are like, why, why would you worship something that can't love you or know you or talk to you? You know, like that just makes no sense. Mm. Mm. That's funny. Mm. And I think the scary answer, a scary mm -hmm. answer is we start to define God very similarly to, to those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We say, he doesn't talk. He hasn't mm -hmm. said anything. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Right? I think yeah. that's the temptation for, for modern American Christians. Start to de define God as a use useless lump of stone um, instead of believing what the scriptures say about him. Mm -hmm. your eyes open yeah mm -hmm. yeah there's your title Joey God is not a lump of stone just kidding that's a terrible that's the best way to get it not done <laughs> now he's saying that's the best way to get it not done to try and get me to do it because that's Ooh, what he did last wow. week to get me to do no, it I was, reverse I was, psychology I can't handle these people ladies and gentlemen I can't do it <laughs> Well, uh, tell you what. Go ahead. Oh no, you tell me what. I'm done. No, no I was yeah. gonna say if they donate on Patreon, uh, they, then uh, yes. we can. Uh, That's sorry. actually the oh exact goodness. same thing I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, I was literally gonna say, title. go to begrace.org/slash/give us your money, <laughs> and we'll uh, let you choose the titles. Yes. That's how these yes, things we work. We have right? insufficient funds. <laughs> well. Now that we've gone down the trail of becoming uh, streamers who do this for money, uh, if you'll click the ad there and smash that subscribe button there, uh, I think we're done. And comment to comment below. Yeah, yes. nobody comments on our streams. Oh, you guys should go back and watch uh, once you leave the room in the newcomer's lunch and I'm doing just online people. Yeah, it'd be it fun. It'd be worth your uh, two minutes and fifty seconds. I don't know if it's that long or not. <laughs> I was just gonna say, dear listener, we love you for you, not your money. Mm. Never, never doubt it. Yeah, we so don't want love. This so podcast love. will not have advertisements, or <laughs> or Patreon, or uh, yes. I don't know what else they use. But I do like bigrace.org slash give us your money. Mm -hmm. Good. We'll use it for something someday. What? That's not real. I make up websites all the time. They're always bigrace.org slash something. Bigrace.org slash podcast. Is that one? That's one, yeah. Almost anything you could come up with might be there. That's why it gets confusing. You're welcome. I'll create Give Us Your Money and have it linked to the Give page. It has a link to podcast, not Give. It'd be weird if it actually has a money page. It'd be awesome. I'm not okay with that. Um, okay. Bye. Can we say goodbye? Whoa, something got weird. Alright. Well, it's me that got weird, I think. Well, thanks for tuning in. This was Sunday Recap. At least most of it was. We'll see you all next week.